This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Here's Speroni. He rolls the ball out to Cannon. He's got options in front of him. He picks out Thomas. This is a nice looking move from Palace. That's a neat ball to Ambrose. A space on the right. Good turn. He crosses into Johnson. Oh yes, back of the nest. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. My name is Chris Hambling and I'm your host as we look back at Monday night's defeat against Liverpool in our opening home game of the season. We'll be covering all the key talking points from the match and discussing the major topics the Palace support have been talking about in the last week. My panel tonight is Nick Gillard, Tim Warren and Simon Pizzi. We'll be right with you after this short message. Love our podcast. Listen to our live radio show on Love Sport every Thursday, 7 till 9pm, 558am, DAB Digital Radio and online, lovesportradio.com. Right, welcome. Welcome to our second proper review show of the season uh, just a couple of updates for you before i go any further our website we're now looking at a due date of around late september but we're putting some content in it over the next few weeks uh, getting very excited about it want to make sure it's right before we launch it and obviously there's going to be a host of ways you can get involved in interacting with the show um, in the future so we're uh, yeah we're, we're, we're very very keen to launch um, but let's do it. Let's do it properly, eh? Hey, eh? that's the right way to do it. Uh, I'll be chatting to my panel in just a moment, but just a little uh, sort. Of, well, I call it a reminder. It's not a reminder if you haven't seen our tweets from earlier in the day. But uh, we are doing the Palace for Life Foundation Walk. So for some reason, I've been roped into this. I think there's about six or seven of us doing it at the moment. Mm. Uh, we'd really, yeah, I don't need kind of what's happened. <laughs> I um. We, we've, I don't know. I get to my better judgment, I'm going to do it. I've been doing some really, really hard training, as I put on Twitter earlier on today. 259 steps in day one. You know, obviously, you know, I'm just easing into it. I don't think 259 steps quite covers the full marathon distance. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, sort of looking forward to it. It'd be really good to, obviously, raise a bit of cash for some causes in South London. Obviously, it's the Palace for Life foundation that uh that will benefit from our insanity um just trying to find out now we've got a, we've got a really easy way for you to donate to our cause which is obviously the main thing but you can donate just via text 
it's so easy. It's so easy. It's really easy to find as well. So our code is BOTN. That's all in capitals. And then the number 90. And then you don't and then you can text the amount with a pound symbol <laughs> in front of the number. I'm just laughing at my inability to read this properly. And uh, you, the number you text to is 770. So let's let's decipher that into some kind of language. You get your phone, right? If I'm going to do it, right? Bear with me a second. Well, while he do does it. that, can I just ask cool. how you couldn't remember BOTN90? I just didn't read it earlier. That's why oh, I couldn't right. remember it. <laughs> I'm going to do it now. So new message. So the number I'm going to send this message to uh, is 770. That's quite exciting. That was really easy. Now I'm going to put in my code. Uh, and that is B-O-T-N. Caps. And the number 90. All in caps. Uh, you don't capitalize numbers though, do you, Nick? So. No, I just thought the very same thing, but... But took your advice and thought about not saying stuff that isn't worth saying. So I feel quite yeah. smart now. Because <laughs> you did. Oh, there you go. <laughs> then put a space after BOTN90. And then put like a pound symbol for the for the English currency. Uh, and then whichever value you decide is appropriate. If after this message it's a pound and you're feeling that that's generous, I understand. Uh, if- I'm going to sponsor myself five pounds. If you want, so let's. Uh, cool. If you want Chris to stop talking about this now, um, <laughs> I will do a more sort of elongated and rambling version of this every week that you don't <laughs> donate. So the quicker we hit our target, the sooner I will, <laughs> I will end this. Before um, the but but I, I've tried it now just to make sure it all works, everybody. So BOT at ninety with a with five pounds. And hopefully I'll get some kind of an acknowledgement that that's gone through. Thanks for your donation. Do I want to add 25% gift aid? Oh, here we go. <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, dear. If, that, if that text costs me extra money, I'll be furious. But there you go. There you go, guys. Easy. Five pounds. It was so easy to do all of that. Nick, were you impressed how easy that was? I was. I was impressed with your your description as well. It was fantastic. So anyway, there we go. We're doing something for charity. I've made it needlessly overcomplicated. Please donate. It's for a great cause. And uh, I have no idea how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. Is it is this now where you introduce and where we go into the next section where you actually introduce me? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So, as I said earlier, with me are Nick Gillard, Tim Warren, and Simon Pizzi. We've we've met Nick. We don't have to talk to him anymore. Uh, welcome, Tim Warren. Hello. Good evening. Good evening, mate. It's uh, it's great to have you back for this new season. Yeah, and I'm impressed with this marathon talk. I'm really looking forward to seeing your training. Yeah, yeah. Well, 259 steps, as I said in my in my first truck day of training. Um, you run marathons. You actually run them. Uh, how? good is that first day of training that's amazing it's a good start you've got to start somewhere um so all you've got to do is just build on that you know progress every day you'll be well, so how many steps should i how many steps should i do tomorrow what did you do today 259 did you say 259 yeah 260 tomorrow you know 260 tomorrow and so how many steps do you think um, in total there are in 26.2 miles oh no don't I, I work in finance what, three, I, three, 320 maybe yeah it's, about that maybe maybe about that, yeah. Yeah, good, good, 350 good. Build up to that, yeah you'll be fine you'll be absolutely fine I'm pretty sure um, everyone will look after you um, it'll be a doddle 
feel, feel a lot better now. I'm, I'm not pushing no wheelbarrow. Nick, we've, we've finished talking to you. Come on, mate. Um, Simon Pizzi, also with us. Hi, Simon. Hello. Great to be back. It is. I'm sure it's great to be back. You know, I've I've already lost <laughs> lost faith in it after this uh, this elongated introduction. But uh, you know, what's what's it? What's the off season been like for you? You know, you you've you've had the excitement of knowing you'd be part of things this this year on, on your favourite show. Um, I'm just, but I'm now just... it's a reality. Is it is it disappointing? <laughs> To be honest, I'm just surprised you let me back. I mean, I, I, as I said, I, I'm amazed. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be on the show and, and surprised you've, you've even given me the opportunity. Well, listen, Nick's been on the show for like seven years, so we don't have that much quality control. I'm sure you can you can tell. All right, guys, that, that'll do. That, that went on, excuse me, a lot longer than I intended. Let's get into talking about the first home game of the season. Before we talk about the result, I'd like to kind of talk about uh, the atmosphere, you know, that that idea of you're, you're we're back at our our home fortress, Selhurst, and, and, and what was it like? And obviously, the key question I've got to start that with, Nick, is did we miss the HF? I think it's an obvious answer. I think we did. It was good to hear a few different chants. For instance, the Eagles chant when we had a corner, which I haven't heard for a long time. Um. I missed the Tifo. Always, it's kind of become part of the part of the first game of the season kind of thing now at Palace, hasn't it? And I think that was missing. And my daughter said, it's not the same without the flags, is it? But that said, chance was starting in different places, which is good. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a couple of things. Most, most of the HF lads are actually there, just in different areas. They're not there as a group representing. So they're still going to have that. Same enthusiasm to, to get involved. Plus, as you say, plenty of other people stepping up. We saw it last week at um, Fulham. Um, nice and loud, but away support is. Um, I've got to be honest, I thought I thought our home support was... Considering it was a Liverpool game and it was under lights, you know, I, I felt it was a little bit flat myself. But let's get Tim's view, Tim. Yeah, I was in the upper Homesdale and it, it was difficult, to be honest. Um you just need that kind of coordination, really. That's where the HF are, are fantastic at starting off the chance and then everyone joining in with them. Yesterday, it was a bit fragmented. So there was lots of effort from, from around the ground, but it just didn't seem to have that oomph and it was just difficult to get going, really. So, you know, plenty of um, people trying, but wasn't quite the same effect as, as you know, having the drum there and, and someone coordinating that that singing. Yeah. I mean, it's been it's been a fixture for so long now that you know maybe people were taking taking them for granted. And uh, I mean, Simon, it's obviously we, we had we had an atmosphere before the HF, and obviously, if things don't get resolved, we'll have an atmosphere after the HF. But for you, how important is it that the club look to resolve this? Um, and, and we, can, you know, we always talk with such pride about our, our famous atmosphere, and mm. you know, is are we in? You know, could it have a, a really detrimental effect on the pitch? I really think it can. I mean, it's, it's divided social media today, either those blaming Parish or those blaming the HF. And actually, I think, as you said, we just need to get a solution to the problem and, and, and really stop blaming. But I think whenever I talk to friends about Palace, I always show them that video. I don't know if you remember it on YouTube of the protest before the Lloyds Bank protest outside Sellers when the Homesdale and Fanatics are marching towards the stadium. And, it, you know, that just they, they have kind of been there since the 2010 revival and, and all our history from that point. So I think it's a real big loss if we can't get it sorted. 
it's interesting that the media sort of picking up on it. And, you know, I, I don't want to say too much because, you know, I, I do, I do know the sort of story behind what happened. Um, but I think I'm conscious of the fact that the HF as a group haven't, haven't shared too much publicly and the club haven't shared too much publicly either. And, you know, I, I just think, I think a lot gets said about, about it without people really knowing what, what went on. And it's, it's important that people understand that um, the sort of move to behind the goal, it, it was a singing section and the, and the club actually made that pretty clear in uh, the emails was, that were sent out. It's not, it's not about the HF. It's about the club having a singing section in a, in a good place for, for everybody to benefit. And I thought that was a really, it's a difficult thing to do. It's a really, really tough thing to do. People get so attached to the seats that they have. And, you know, you've got people who have probably been there longer than some of the guys in the HF have been alive and all that sort of stuff. So it does get very fraught. But, you know, it's a process that could have been managed. And I and I just feel that everyone probably went into that with the absolute best of intentions of, of creating something to enhance an already fantastic atmosphere. Um, and I think, unfortunately, what we've done is we've come out of it. And, you know, we, we look a little bit silly at the moment for, you know, it was the thing that everyone sort of focuses on. I think, you know, Sky looking at their opening fixtures and looking at, getting Palace versus Liverpool on a Monday night would have been thinking about all those great occasions where we've, you know, lifted the roof off of Sellers Park and it's, you know, and it, and it wasn't, unfortunately it wasn't there. And it does look, it's not the end of, end of the world. And I, and I hope things get resolved, but um, it was, a, it was just a little bit disappointing, unfortunately for the first home game of the season. Tim. Yeah. I mean, all I was going to say on that. Tim's got his hand up. <laughs> I've got my hand up, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> me, 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 sir. Um, no, I mean the the first thing that people associate Palace with at the moment, or or they did, was was the the atmosphere at Palace. So, like you know, a guy come out today. The first thing he said to me wasn't about the game. It was, oh, wasn't a very good atmosphere last night, was it? You know, and I, I think that's the important yeah. thing about it that we've built up this reputation thanks to the HF um, of having such a wonderful atmosphere. Um, you know, and it's always bouncing, especially like you say against teams like Liverpool. Um, under the lights so you know that's definitely what was missing last night yeah, yeah for sure um, go on Nick you can jump in or not it's Nick's actually game. on you I'm just wondering well, yeah. where, where we haven't had them there and it's never going to be the same straight away so it, it's got to settle in a bit Um and you got to forget, most of the people in Block B last night bought their tickets on Twickets. Lots of people around me, different people in the seats because they were still on holiday and whatnot, you know. So it's hard to judge on the first match, I think. We've, we've got to see yeah. how it goes. Yeah, but, but listen. But, yeah. I, I know I know for, for an absolute fact, right, that, that in this situation... The, you know, the, the guys in the HF would 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 love everybody to step up and create an atmosphere anyway. Um, maybe for that atmosphere to sort of naturally spread and naturally sort of encompass everything that they that they started. I'm sure that oh, I know that they would be delighted if if 
if everyone stepped up. And I think plenty of people have tried. So you're, you're right, Nick. It's early days. Um, yeah. But to me, you know, let's not let's not labour the point. But to, it, it's just it's a shame what's happened. Um, and I and I hope that there's a way of resolving it. I think everyone would benefit from just resolving it in a in a sensible manner. I mean, what we what we don't want is uh, sort of to fill those seats, those tickets going out to people who. who you know, let's face it, shouldn't have those tickets. And I'm talking about Liverpool fans because there were an awful lot of them in the home areas yesterday. Uh, there was there was several in the home areas wearing Liverpool shirts, which I just I don't I just don't like that. Uh, I'll get some views on that. I'll start with you, Simon. Actually, um, in you know, I, look, I was I was at Fulham in the home end, right? So I, I, I'm you know I'm not. I'm not saying it's something that can't happen, but I didn't wear a Palace shirt and I didn't cheer Palace goals. I sat there respectfully and, well, failed every now and then, but but did my very best not to stick out and, and just sort of enjoyed watching the game. Um, but when you've got huge numbers of opposition fans in in the in the home crowd, you know something like the you know the what what's happened with the hundred or so tickets in Block B, it kind of just brings it to attention that you know there are, there is a knock on effect, isn't there? I agree, and, and I think if you know if you've got a massive stadium that you can't fill, then it's still not acceptable. But it's, it makes it slightly better. But when you've got a small stadium like we have, and there's a waiting list of people trying to get tickets, it's it's just it's just ridiculous. Uh, so the so question is, was there touts outside or was it online? How are they getting hold of the tickets? Well, I, I saw touts outside, uh, but mainly looking to get tickets rather than selling them. But you know, there's lots of ways. I mean, Twickets is is the official club partner, and you're supposed to there's supposed to be some kind of mechanism for making sure it's Palace fans and not away fans getting the tickets. So I don't know how you can possibly enforce that, but you know, quite clearly, uh, there is there are certain numbers of tickets that are sold to uh, sort of tourist organisations. I know Steve Parrish has confirmed this in the past. So you know, so in the Premier League, there's certain companies that operate package deals you know for overseas fans come and watch premier league football here's your ticket here's your hotel blah 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 so there's certain, certainly a bunch of tickets in the arthur that seem to be related to that so there's various ways of people getting it it's just it just sticks in the uh, throat a little bit in the home end when you're trying to generate an atmosphere uh, in difficult circumstances and half the people aren't singing because they're they're there supporting liverpool yeah it's not good um no, it's a it's an age old problem. Look, let's not dwell on it as well. We've a couple of other negatives uh, I want to sort of talk about. I'll talk about in in the the best way I can. I mean, first I'll I'll open with a sort of uh, the point of view that I don't like talking about politics. In fact, I don't let people talk about politics on on back of the nest or our previous incarnation of Homestead Radio. It's not something I feel is appropriate. I do not think you mix, you should mix politics and sport. Um, although, you know, it has been going back to my sort of GCC days. It has been a, a positive uh, in the past, a positive force for change, but let's, let's just get away from that. It's not something I feel is appropriate to, uh, to, to bring in. So one of the things that was suggested that from the back of block a in particular in the Homestale, there were some, let's just call them far right chance. Um, uh, look, I'll get a reaction from you guys. I'm not after you talking about your own political views. Whether whether you agree with someone's politics or not, people have the right to, to hold the views that they have. Uh, but expressing them at a football ground, Nick, it's 
it just leaves a sour taste in the it mouth. It does, and from what I understand, it was it was a small group of about twenty people who are like that all the time, and it was just that they'd been drowned out by the by the HF before, so it's been more noticeable. Um, all we've got to remember is that we're Crystal Palace Football Club, and if that sort of stuff gets out, that we've got fans singing that. One, you might attract more people to the game who think they can do that sort of stuff. But secondly, most importantly, it's it doesn't look good on the team. Homophobic chants, anything like that. Uh, it just, you know, I'd, I'd be as annoyed if the whole ground saying, oh, Jeremy Corbyn, as I would, singing about Tommy Robinson. That's how I feel about it. It's all about Palace. And actually, oh, yeah. that's the place where we can forget where we are in our own lives and football's the place where you go to forget all of that and just focus on the match and not be horrible to people. Completely agree. And that, that's, that's, that's the way I continue to go. A... Even, even in the crap days, it was 90 minutes out of my life where I didn't think about anything else and it was good for the soul, even when we lost. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there is a, there's a past with football that we have to acknowledge, but, you know, we are in 2018 now, incredibly. Um, no flying cars yet, though. Weird, very oh, weird, but there, um, <laughs> but there are there are things that just I think we we just need to to, to be a bit more progressive than that and, and keep like I say keep these things out of supporting Palace. Look, I've got you know a bunch of Palace fans sort of you know add me on on Facebook and various other things and I follow a bunch of Palace fans on Twitter, you know because we have a shared love of Palace. Now, you know a, a large percentage of those, you know I don't have the same opinions on a variety of topics you know whether it's politics or or whatever but you know that's not what it's about it's a you know football as you say nick sort of suspends that and it's really disappointing to hear people come to to support palace and instead of supporting palace they're expressing an agenda whatever that agenda might be um Tim, what's your, what's um, your view on I'm very old-fashioned when it comes to politics in terms of your political view should be a personal view and not shared, really. Um, you know, it's the same in the workplace where, you know, the recent Brexit and everything kind of caused so much division. Um, and and for me, it, it shouldn't do because it should be kept, you know, private and your view shouldn't be expressed to other people. Um, and, and the same goes for football. And like Nick says, you go there to get away from it all, really. Um, it's a chance of 90 minutes to sort of sit there and, um, you know, enjoy. Um, I mean, I must admit, I do go there to try and relax, which isn't the best place to be, really, because it doesn't take long to get worked <laughs> up. Um, but when it comes to homophobic or political chanting, then I'm sorry, there's just no place for it in a football ground. No, absolutely right. And obviously, Simon, if you're if people are expressing views, you know, again, as Tim said, they're their personal views, but they choose to do so in a in a public forum. Then it, it, it's right to highlight that for criticism, whether you share their political views. Oh, absolutely. Or not, right? And you know, oh, there's so much rubbish going on at the minute. You, as Tim says, you just want to go to football, just or relax. Was Tim's probably not the right word, but to forget about all that, and you don't want to be reminded of that during a game when you're you know meant to be enjoying it. And but. But the political views for me are, are not as bad as a homophobic chanting. I think that's awful. And we just got to get rid of that now because it's 21st century. And I know, we, you know there's a lot of people that struggle with who they are and we shouldn't be making it worse when they come to watch football as well. No, I mean, and I will make a point on the uh, the, the homophobic chanting that's been reported, which is the, 
and obviously I, I, I will mention what the, what the chart was. People who've been going a while will remember it. And it's, you know, it's the crowd singing to a player, usually a player taking a corner, that they've been shagging Will Young. So first of all, most people these days don't even know who Will Young is. So I think that the kind of concept is, is lost to them. But obviously it was a newspaper story that he'd been, you know, sleeping with a footballer and all that. And in this day and age, the answer to that is, so what? You know, it's, it's what does that mean? But I think it's an interesting one because I know um, Terence will talk about this, you know, in the, the preview pod. So I won't trample on his point too much. But um, you know, he you know he has a, a a personal connection to that. I'm sure he'll share. But you know, there's there's a there's a point of view even amongst people who would be you know directly offended by by homophobic charting. You know, the the LB, LGBT community, for example. Who may or may not see that as a a, a chant that that isn't actually necessarily homophobic, if you see what I mean? As in, it's it's stating something that it's more about the reaction that would define it as homophobic, if you know what I mean. So, um, if the player or opposing fans or whatever was to take that as an offensive comment, then you're sort of you're, you're left asking, well, why is that offensive? Uh, if you see what I mean, so I know there's a really been always been a fine line in football between something that is said in jest, as, as you know, as I hate to use the word, but but banter or whatever, and and something that's genuinely from a place of hatred or ignorance or intolerance. But I think personally, if there's any doubt, if there's you know, if you if you were to chant that, and and you know, in your day to day life, you are. A tolerant and respectful individual and you are certainly not homophobic if you were to chant that if you were to think that there's a risk that one person would be offended by that and hurt by that then you wouldn't chant it so why why take that risk it's a little bit like i can remember not that long ago you know it's, it's weird to think it but you know when Leeds visited we would chant special needs at them and i sort of think back and think I'm so embarrassed why would why would I do that why would I think that that's acceptable and it's that kind of mob mentality but you know it is a complex issue because you know in, intent and context are, uh, you know do do mean a lot but like I say for me you know just to sum it up in my in a kind of a Jerry Springer <laughs> way I would just say that if there's any chance <laughs> that something you are saying or contributing to would cause offence to someone, whether you know that you, whether you meant to or not, then we have, you know have a word with yourself and, and don't do it. Just just don't don't take that risk. Don't take put you know put yourself in a position where you might hurt someone um, in, in a way that is entirely inappropriate. Entitled to call uh, what's his face a c word. That was that was fine in my book. It really was. Yeah, I even heard that. <laughs> Oh, you know, someone, someone made that point on Twitter earlier and I was kind of thinking, well, actually, that's a really, you know, certainly for some people, that word is is incredibly sort of distasteful and misogynistic. And, you know, there's, it, it's, you know, it's a horrible swear, really. And the, the, the origins of it are pagan and it's actually kind of seeing women as being divine beings and gods and it got, people didn't like that, so they made it, turned it around but the origination of it is is actually quite nice towards women <laughs> well, I'll let you, you never that knew point. that you I'll, know, I'll, day, didn't you? I'll let you make that point next time <laughs> next time I call you it 
Um, you've still got your hand up, Nick. It's a bit weird, mate, sitting there with your, your arm in the air. Just you want to Yeah, it's aching. Yeah, with a tennis just, elbow as yeah. well. Uh, anyway, listen, that's, uh, we've, we've, oh, it wasn't even a soapbox, really, and it's probably a bit, bit all, all a bit PC for most people. But I hope you understand the point we're making. And, you know, to be talking about that kind of stuff after the first home game is a, is a, is a real shame um, in terms of both not having the atmosphere of the HF and, and some of the things that are being reported. Let's focus on keeping... Um, you know, keeping our, our attendance at football about supporting Crystal Palace Football Club, which is what we're all there to do, and uh, obviously here to talk about. So uh, let's let's get into the game. Obviously, unfortunately, uh, a defeat. But I think perhaps the least surprising thing, Simon, was that uh, Roy Hodgson stuck with a winning team. Um, any shocks for you there? No, not at all. I know Terence talked on the preview pod about maybe bringing in Karate to sort of strengthen up the midfield, but we know Roy, he doesn't change a, a, a winning team and he also likes to make his late substitutions. So no surprise for me there, really. Sorry, I was uh, <laughs> I was vaping while you were talking. I apologise. <laughs> and now I'm choking. But no, absolutely right. And um, you, you'd kind of... Obviously, we saw the changes on the bench. We saw, um, obviously, Max uh, Mayer well, being one of those uh, who who, joined, who was on the bench. And, obviously, Jordan Ayew as well. Uh, so, a lot of people excited about that when Mamasako revealed it by accident <laughs> pre-game uh, in, his, in his video. Um, but, obviously, very, very um, positive lineup that played very well against Fulham. Um, I don't know, Nick. I was I was a little surprised. I kind of I expected Coyote to actually come in there uh, and us to kind of sacrifice a more forward-thinking player for a bit more, bit more kind of presence in that midfield, maybe. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I was thinking probably Jeff Schlupp would would come out and we'd kind of pack that midfield a little bit. Uh, with the benefit of hindsight, do you think that would have been any more effective? I mean, because we played well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not really sure because I've, I've I've written a couple of notes about Schlupp um, because I, I've I found that um, I thought he was they tried to he was trying to play him in two positions because Alexander Arnold was always free on the Liverpool right hand side and and Schlupp was always coming inside. Whether Roy wanted him to do two jobs or not, I don't know, and that's probably why he was included. That's that's my take on no, it. I think that, I think that's a fair point, Nick. And, um... You know, no, he, he did nothing wrong. He didn't. There was no way he does deserve to be dropped. I mean, I, I don't know. It's whenever you, whenever you're looking at a defeat, you're always kind of looking for the reasons that you lost the game. And quite often, when you're playing the, the bigger teams, it's because they've got a better team than you. Um, and was it as simple as that, Tim? Were there no real mistakes in what Roy did in keeping that lineup and that those tactics? No, I think the difference with Roy to some other managers is Roy's very loyal. So you know, like you said, keeping a winning team's not not the biggest surprise with him whereas other managers might look at the game and think of you know just changing the player here tweaking here or there just to to strengthen up um but I must admit I spotted the same as Nick with with Schlupp that certainly early in the game um Alexander Arnold was was in acres of space so many times um you know the ball was being pinged over to him and and he just seemed to have a have that right hand side all to himself and so in those first sort of 20 minutes Schlupp was a bit out, well, I thought he was a bit out of position, but like Nick says, maybe that's what he was told to do. Um, but we were certainly a bit vulnerable on that side. Yeah, and it, it crossed my mind looking at it that um, obviously it was Loftus-Cheek out there last season more often than not. And um, I'm not so sure, well, defensively he was, was never particularly strong anyway. So you think Slap would be able to do 
the defensive job a little better. So it's certainly definitely more to do with the role than the uh, the capabilities of the player, I think. Simon? That first 20, 25 minutes, I think, was it Navi Cater for Liverpool, the new signing? Yeah. I mean, he was dominating the midfield and it looked like we were being overrun. But I think after that first 20 minutes, it did sort of settle down. And then we looked like we you know, had enough. But for me, Schlupp mislaid a few passes. Um, I was unlucky with a couple, especially the one through that he attempted to Zaha. But um, no, I think, you know, in all likelihood, Roy's not going to change a winning team anytime soon. No, absolutely right. No, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly interesting. I'm not sure, looking at it, even with the benefit of hindsight, that I would have done anything differently. Um, it's uh, and, and as you say, those the opening 20, 25 minutes, you're, you're right, Cater was excellent for them. And he's, he's a very, very good footballer. Um, but I think, you know, when you look at the balance of, of the first half, you know, particularly that early play, I, I felt... I felt kind of. I was very nervous before the game. I wasn't uh, leading up to it. I wasn't really that fussed. But on the day, I, st- I got really, really worried. I met a listener, uh, Richard Tate. Um, hi, Richard, if you're if you're listening, which I'm sure you are. And we were talking, and I, I was just saying to him that, you know, I, I just kind of just, I just got so nervous before it. I just kind of thought, oh, you know, they did so so well against West Ham. Um, and I was, was more worried the fact that if we took a pasting, it would just completely undo all that positivity. Uh, that we generated the really good feeling around the club. Everyone was looking forward to the season. You know, we had players coming in that we'd signed that weren't yet fit to, but but which should be adding real quality. Everyone was so optimistic, and just on the day, I thought it could all come crashing down if we if we take a real pasting. But that the way we played in the in the first half really settled me down. I was delighted that we were defensively holding our ground. Liverpool weren't carving us apart. I think early. Early on, they got a lot of joy from from the fullbacks. In fact, that you know the fullbacks were the out ball more often than not, and that's a very difficult thing to stop unless you're starting to push, you know, start to get your your attacking players to think defensively for the full ninety minutes, which really, obviously really completely negates you as an attacking force if you do that. So there's obviously no one to blame the fact that Townsend's not continuously marking Robertson, and obviously either Schlupp or, or Zaha's peeling off to continuously mark Alexander Arnold. You can't. You can't do that if you want to operate as an attacking force. So on the balance, I think we did really well. Um, so early on, there was a little bit of a scare. Uh, ball went up sort of high, and it was Mane challenging, um, uh, challenging sort of well a combination of Wan Bissaka and, and Wayne Hennessy, and the ball ended up dropping in the net. Any concerns at that moment, Nick, that that goal was going to get given? I kind of where the referee indicated. I thought for a second he was pointing at the centre circle when he'd given the goal. No, it was, it was so blatant. Even the useless linesman on the um, main stand side flagged that one. It was it was blatant from where I was. I thought. No, fair play, fair play. Concise answer there, Nick. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and Tim, in terms of what I was saying about the first half play, uh, you know, again, despite the fact that Liverpool did put the ball in the net quite early on, uh, which again, clear foul. Um, how did you feel that we that we we sort of set up and approaching it? Do you think we'd done the right you know the right thing tactically? Yeah, I think it was okay. I mean, it, it seemed pretty end to end stuff to me. Um, the first couple of minutes, Liverpool were passing the ball around and we struggled to sort of get involved. But then, once we settled, um, I remember that first move with Zaha, uh, where the crowd all kind of got lifted as he kind of ran with the ball. Um, yeah, I thought we did all right. I think you know we pressed them, pressed them quite high. Um, and you know, got in amongst them really. But having said that, obviously Liverpool were always dangerous as well. Um, but as you've already mentioned, defensively we looked quite sound in those um, early stages. 
Yeah, and I think probably the first moment for me that, that got me worried. Um, and it sort of really did sort of set the tone for how Liverpool played. They played a lot of this this type of ball over the over the top to turn our defence around and get players running through. And I was a little disappointed about how easy, um, particularly Salah, was finding it to, to sort of run across the line between full-back and centre-back and, and kind of breach that defence. And um, it started with the man we mentioned already, Naby Keita, who just... I think every time, if, if Townsend sees this, he will just, you know, have his head in his hands because it's it's an absolutely disgusting piece of skill from Cater. He's got his back, um, well, sorry, he's basically facing his own uh, goal line. And it's just uh, just an unbelievable turn. You've got Townsend running at full pace, trying to put him under pressure. And he just spins him and just leaves Townsend sprinting at nothing. Um, but in the same movement, he's got his head up, looked, and he's just launched a ball over the two over the two centre backs. Salah's got through, uh, and fortunately gets way too much on it. You know, Wayne Hennessy's done well to come out and force him to to attempt to finish by by lifting the ball. Otherwise, I think it's, it's a guaranteed goal. Um, but that was a that was a pretty scary moment, Simon, and obviously it showed the quality that Cater had. And the the options that Liverpool had in terms of how they picked us apart. It's not just about trying to pass through us. They were they were playing a bit of a long ball game at times. They were. They have they have so much variation in their game, and that was a real let off. But I thought, to be fair, I thought Hennessy or the Hen. I think he closed Salah down really well and put him under pressure, which I think contributed to his to his uh, heavy touch. To be fair, but I think all throughout their team, they've got real ballers. You know, Allison's passing, pinpoint passing throughout the throughout the game. So I think. They were unpicking us in different ways, but as I was quite impressed with Hennessy on that one. Yeah, absolutely right. And I, you know, you've noticed I love to call him the hen. I just, just there's something about it. It just, it just suits him. <laughs> you know, we had a we had a fairly decent moment after. Oh, go on, Nick. I've I've done the DR. I completely forgot what I was going to say now. But um, no, Liverpool. <laughs> Liverpool were in the European Championship final last year. They they gave West Ham a footballing master. Well, oh, yeah, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Champions League. Um, they gave West Ham a footballing masterclass last week. They made West Ham look totally and utterly incompetent, which they may well be. They struggled a lot more against us, and every player on their team is brilliant. Yeah, they they, they, they did really. Yeah, we, we gave them much more of a game. <laughs> I did enjoy uh, Sam Hefskiff's point on the preview pod last week where he listed the players that uh, West Ham started with in central midfield against Liverpool, which was obviously Mark Noble, Jack Wilshere and Declan Rice. And then pointed out that they'd sold us Coyote. It's like, why Why did they do that? I thought it was an excellent point. It made me laugh an awful lot as I was listening, driving to the game. Um, yeah, a little plug for the preview podcast is excellent. Do do listen to that if you don't. Um so, but as as I was just about to say, it's we we had our best moment of the game shortly shortly after that. Some excellent pressing, and that was a feature of Palace's uh, game throughout. Really, uh, pressing in the right areas, you know, noticing where Liverpool had sold themselves a little short with a couple of passes, and it was actually a mistake from Keita being put under pressure, where uh, uh, he ends up passing the ball straight to Benteke. Benteke knocks it to Townsend, steps away from a couple of challenges. Fantastic long-range effort that just smacks against the bar and Tim, but for you know the width of a bar, that's us ahead in the game, and it's a totally different match if that goes in. Oh, definitely. I mean, I must admit, at the time, because I'm writing the gods in the Homesdale upper, I thought it was a save from Addison. 
Um, but obviously at halftime, I noticed that it, it hit the crossbar. But, you know, Townsend does or did what he does best, which is cut inside. He's always looking to have a shot. And um, yeah, I honestly thought that was going top corner. Um, you know, what difference? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com that would have made if we'd have gone one nil up absolutely and Simon we don't see too many efforts from Townsend now you know when he when he first joined us it was a you know pretty much a shot every other touch wasn't it uh but he's he's kind of you know he's he saved it for a real moment of quality there should we be expecting perhaps a bit more from Townsend in, in that kind of that kind of thing that kind of play I think we should be I think you know he, for me he's one of one of he's become one of my favorite players at the minute and I think they they put up his stats from last season on Sky Sports. I watched it from home, and I it was something like seven assists and sort of two goals last season. And I thought that really undersold the impact he has on our team. His work rate, his effort, and as you said, I think he's got that in his locker. So it would definitely be worth and and you know, seeing more of that this season because you know he's got a cracking shot. Yeah, definitely. I know it's interesting the point you make about stats and what what they prove there because you know I always say the same thing when people talk to me about Zaha stats and it's just. You, people don't understand how many goals that he has created where it's not a direct assist. Um, and I think probably Absolutely. the same could be said of, said of Townsend and also chances created that, that people haven't actually put away as well. Um, but there we go. So that's a good moment from us. And, you know, after that, we had a, there's a bit of pressure. There was a good save from Wayne Hennessy that he's near post from Cater and some later saves as well in the second half that he did well. And I was really interested to see how, how often he... Um, came out and claimed, claimed the ball quite clearly. And that's becoming a feature of his play. I've um, been really, really impressed with with how often uh, with the, the hen is coming out and pecking the ball out of the air. Um, Nick, you've had your hand up for a while. I'm just wondering if it's left left from earlier or you wanted to make a point. No, no, I was just going to say from the, from the Townsend hitting the bar, the ball came out to Wilf. And that was heading in. I don't know which Liverpool player it, it hit, but I bet it hurt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great shot. Yeah, no, it's just such fine margins, isn't it? You know, we, we just had a, that little moment where we were in the ascendancy, uh, the crowd getting behind us. And honestly, those things, those things change games so much. I know it's an obvious statement to make that the goal changes a game, but if we'd got ourselves ahead at that point, uh, I just would have been very, very interested to see how the game would go because obviously Liverpool would have to open up that little bit and, would have been that little bit more susceptible to the counter attack, and um, you know, I think most people go, you know, again, sort of going to the end of the game now. But most people would say overall, uh, we were we were actually very very impressive, and it's been good to see the media pick up on that. You know, perhaps there's an argument to say we, you know, if we say we deserve to draw, people might suggest we're a bit biased, but you know, certainly we deserved something. I, I, I felt in, in the overall play. Uh, guys, I want to talk to you about a challenge that happened because it's quite it's quite relevant to 
something that happened shortly afterwards that ended up leading to the penalty incident. And um, it was James Milner's challenge on, on Wilf Zaha. So I'll start with you, Simon. You obviously mentioned you watched it uh, on Sky rather, rather than at the ground, which is good because we get that means we get all the different perspectives. So Milner's gone right through Zaha. Now, obviously, he's, he has got the ball. But, I mean, you look at last week and you look at what Jagielka got sent off for. Um, and it's very, very similar to that, other than the fact that uh, you know his foot touches the ball. It's an incredibly dangerous high challenge, and it was clearly done out of frustration because Wilf was using his strength to hold Milner off. Uh, what did you make of that challenge? Well, it's about consistency, isn't it? Like you said, he got the ball, so you can say fair enough, he got the ball. But he did; it was dangerous and it was reckless. And then I know we're coming onto it, but then he books PVA moments afterwards for a for his, you know something that's a lot less. Um, obvious and and dangerous than the one Milner put in, and just I just couldn't understand that. And you know, people have been screaming big club bias on the on, on Twitter today, and you try and avoid sort of cliches like that. But it does get you thinking when when two very quick incidents like that happen, and, and two completely different outcomes. Well, I uh, I put a tweet out talking about the Premier League script because um, obviously I have my conspiracy theory that you know that there's a huge amount of scripting that goes on mm. in the Premier League, mm. and you can see it by how how eager match officials are to give certain decisions for certain teams. Um, I went on to, to love sport earlier on and got fairly heavily criticised for, for saying that, but I don't care. I genuinely believe it. But I, I, I just thought it, it, it just it gave me that little warning sign when that happened. And again, when you look at those two incidents, and you're absolutely right, Simon, when you talk about consistency, it's so frustrating to see complete suspension of logic. You know, James Milner should not be making that challenge. In my view, he is very lucky to stay on the pitch for doing that. It's incredibly dangerous. Uh, it's done with a with a degree of aggression that wasn't called for. Uh, but there'd be plenty of people out there calling it a great challenge. Nick? Yeah, is, can there be anything retrospective on that if it's if it's viewed by somebody? I mean, I don't know whether it would have... If he didn't, didn't book him, it wouldn't go into a referee's report. But, but the challenge that PVA made right near me where I sit... Um, PVA put the ball through his legs and the geezer collapsed. Yeah. It was, and that's it was, all it was. It, it was given it was given for the follow through. I'm sure again, Simon, I'm sure you, you you would have picked up on that better than we did at the game because uh there were a couple of replays of it. Um so it, what what did no, what was this follow-through that they're talking about? Well, you know, obviously Gary Neville was on, on the half-time was saying, well, the follow-through was that he had he didn't have control of his foot after the after he got the ball, which I think is ironic because how can you have control of you know when you when you're diving in anyway? But um, he suggested his studs were raised that he didn't have control of his body when he was in for the challenge. And I just I think neither of that, I, from what I could see, that was just I don't want to swear, I don't want to beep alarm, but but but, but it was bollocks to be honest. But yeah, and obviously the the, the frustration is heightened, uh, as I said, because first of all, you know, Milner gets goes goes unpunished. PVA gets a yellow card, but it also stops a real, real dangerous break for us because we were through, and the, you know there was Benteke in the centre, Zaha was off. It's it, you know it's fifty fifty whether anyone's going to catch Wilf. Uh, he certainly would have got to the penalty area before anyone did. Uh, and we know just how dangerous that situation is. So yet again, you're looking at a situation where Palace would have been very, very hopeful of going ahead. But instead, what we see is the ball called back, and a very, very short time later in the same passage of play. And and this is this is kind of symptomatic of our luck, really, because it actually comes from a a shot from Milner that was charged down. And this happens so often in the game. 
It was. I was watching it, and it's like what happens when I play FIFA. Every time there's a ricochet, it goes to the opposition rather than to to my team, and it's what makes me smash controllers. But it just kept happening during the game, and this was a prime example of it. Milner takes a shot, deflects off the defender, goes straight to the feet of Alexander Arnold, uh, and in that passage, it ends up with with Mo Salah. And well, let, let's not start with my opinion, Nick. I want your opinion on whether or not that that was a penalty. It was a soft penalty. I've read in several places today that um, Michael Oliver has given Liverpool six penalties in seven games. I'm not going to say any more than that. Simon? I'm off me. Yes, no, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I've looked at it a few times and I think if it was Wilf, we'd be calling out for it and we'd be crying out for it. So I think whilst it looks really soft, I think if we if we were, and I keep going, he's a diver, he's a diver. But I think actually if, we, if that was with Wilf, I think we'd be wanting it as well. Okay, I'll come back to that, Tim. Well, I thought it was a dive. Um, from where I was up, up, up the top, I thought you know it'd gone down far too easily, um, and I get very frustrated when I hear comments from people like um, Jason Cundy on Talk Sports saying he had the right to go down. I mean, what gives you the right to go down? I mean, at the end of the day, he, the the contact wasn't enough to send him down. So, in in my eyes, it's not a penalty on that basis. Would we be shouting for it at the other end? We probably would be. If it was Wilfred Zaha, would he get it? I'm not so sure he would yesterday. I don't think he would have got that decision. And that's, again, talking about consistency. Okay, it's, you know, we don't know that for certain, but I, I in, in my heart, I think if Zaha had been in a similar position, we wouldn't have got that penalty. Right, I mean, first of all, you stole my thunder a little bit because that's exactly right. I, I said the same thing again on, on Love Sport earlier that, you know, you can, you can tell me all day and, and, and Paul Mortimer was telling me <laughs> that uh, it's it was uh, Sacco's fault because he doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to make contact. All he needs to do is let Salah turn and uh, Milivojevic is there to block him. He said so. It's, his view was it was Sacco's fault and that's poor defending. My view was first and, first and foremost, it was a dive, uh, a, a blatant dive, a huge, disgusting, cheating dive. And it's not even any doubt. That's my first point of view. The contact is all to do with Salah leaving his foot, dangling his foot and, and pressing and getting... He was the one who makes the contact. It's not Sacco who makes that contact. And you can see uh, as as he falls away in slow motion, the gap between the two and just how extensive that is. There's no reason what... There's nothing putting Mohamed Salah to the ground there. It's out and out cheating. And I, I'm... And I, you know, I am absolutely bewildered why it's even a debate but you know i accept that these things do get given but the point i made earlier was they get given for the big teams against the small teams and i will acknowledge that we've got them in the past when we've been the bigger team and i think it's human nature unfortunately for referees and yeah come on let's have let's have var because we might have had a chance of uh of of, of getting a better decision there at the very least we would have known it would have been looked at because you know, I, I just I cannot abide that a player with that much talent. And I know people say this stuff exact these exact words about Wilfred Zaha, but a player with that much talent to have to do that, um, and and for it to ruin a really competitive, positive game because it did ruin the game because as soon as they were ahead, it made it so difficult for us because it just takes it just takes so much away from your option because you know you have to commit players and they have so much quality. If they go ahead against anyone, 
it's really going to be very, very difficult for people to get back in the game without conceding. Uh, and the fact that we didn't concede till really late on is to, to our credit. Simon? You're using the wrong term there. Diving's not the right term. There was a new one created by the uh, so-called pundits on Sky Sports at halftime. It's right. called theatrical falling. <laughs> so, um, so they couldn't bring themselves to say that Salah dived. And they were desperate not to say that Salah dived. They just couldn't bring themselves to it. So they said, yeah, he has, he has fallen theatrically there. It's, it's, it's theatrical falling. Oh, the thing is, it's if you call it, if it's theatrics, it's like amateur dramatics. It's so poor. Um, again, Paul, going back to what Paul Mortimer and I were arguing about in love sport, he was saying that Zaha is, a, a, is, is not very good at falling, <laughs> and he's you know he's a bad faller rather than Zaha was a good faller. My response to him was, I used to like you, Paul, uh, when you played for Palace, and I regret that, which he found quite funny, but. Um, it, it was, it was, it was very. It's it's just bizarre. It feels bizarre to be having these conversations, and you know, it, everyone just you know. I just want to say, to everyone, just look, stop it, stop, forget, forget who you support, forget what you've seen elsewhere, forget you know what people get away with. Just look at it. It's a grown man throwing himself to the floor, chucking his head back like he's been shot to try and win a penalty because he can't get a shot away. That's what it is. It's pathetic. And it's a player with so much talent that to do that, it's just offensive to the game of football. It's just disgusts me. It really does. I'm just Angry. more gutted to find out that we might not get, might, might not get Paul Mortimer on as a guest because you've just slated <laughs> him on here. You know, yeah. it makes you be quite interesting. Thanks, no, we we saw, we saw, we saw, we saw almost arranged a fight. It was good. <laughs> I, I tend to, he tends to be walking out of the uh, the studio when we get there on a Thursday. So I'm gonna gonna rugby tackle him to the floor when we get there Thursday and start start yeah, laying Brian, into him. Brian Moore's on the show before as well. He'll tell you doing it all wrong. So. <laughs> yeah, shoulders, shoulders in the wrong place. Anyway, is that uh, our, our Love Sports show that's live both on the internet for worldwide listeners and the radio as well? Yeah, it is, yeah. Oh. It is that show on a Thursday night, 7 to 9 p.m. You're right. It's live on it's DAB and live, live on 558. Yeah, live on the actual uh, internet, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I think it is, it is the only live Crystal Palace show at that time on the radio and also on the internet. Yeah, for those outside. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well done, guys. Anyway, hugely disappointing. To, uh, obviously, Milner tucks the penalty away, and it's again close to half time, so very frustrating. Um, and again, for all that work that we've put in, it's just just felt really, really bad. <laughs> you know, going into half time. But you know, we've we've often responded, and, and what do we think, guys, of the response in the second half? Because Palace they came out really strongly, didn't they, Tim? And you know, obviously, Liverpool had their tails up because they, they had a huge bonus in getting themselves ahead. But, uh, but you know, Palace did change. They did become more of an attacking force in that second half. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it was a real sucker punch just before half-time. I mean, we was all obviously feeling it, you know, so close to, to the half-time whistle um, and absolutely gutted. Um, but no, second half, um, you know, we came out, we gave it a good go. Um, and let's be honest about it, you know, <laughs> we could have got anything from the... You know, it was a you know injury time before Liverpool actually got the got the three points. Really, I mean, I I watched Klopp on the sideline. He was um, going crazy, absolutely crazy. He you know he was so nervous because uh, you know we were we were dangerous, we were a threat. Yeah, it was it was great to see. And um, I'll be interested. Obviously, we didn't get we don't get to hear the 
the commentary of the game, Simon. What were the what were the pundits and the, the commentators making of the, the Palace response? Did they was it really sort of reflective of the pressure that Palace were putting Liverpool under at times? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, in the second half, um, the phrases like "they've upped their game," "look at the possession stats," because it swung from sixty-six percent to you know thirty-four uh, percent Liverpool's favour in the first half. You know, directly across to sixty-odd percent in in the um, second. I mean, even when we went down to ten men, they were suggesting that you know we're not out of this game yet, and we're causing them real problems. So there was, and what was interesting was for me, it didn't feel like you know the pre-build to the game, which was all oh, Palace a difficult place under the lights and strange things happened to actually we were like we were competing against them on 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 any occasion it was real respect they were giving to us in that second half. I'm really glad you said that because that's that's one of the key points that I wanted to talk about which was the fact that I mean Gary Neville came up with some great comments as well didn't he where he said you know Palace will amass a lot of points they're a really good team and I think a mm. lot of people your neutrals sort of felt that after and even I saw some Liverpool fans say you know they were having a bit of a dig at us, but they were sort of saying at the same time, you know, guys, get over it. You played really well. Stop, you know, stop getting hung up on how it how it happened. You know, we're we're a good team, and but you're a good team as well. And I quite sort of quite respected that from a as as, as a point of view. And um, yeah, it's, it's it's great that you raised that point, Nick. Yeah, it shows how far we've come, really, doesn't it? To almost thinking we might be Liverpool to oh, it's a bonus game. Um, that we, we were we were gutted by it because we we know that on a good day we we can match them. But this season, I don't think we could. No, absolutely right. We we should feel feel very very good about that fact. You know what what worries me. You guys obviously will know this as you know as Palace fans for a number of years. Is I I don't like coming out of defeats and saying oh we played really well we could we could have got more because if you sort of line up six or seven games where you keep, where you're saying that. You, you you still end up in relegation trouble, you know. Uh, so part of me part of me is still concerned about that. But I think you know second game of the season for us to to play that well against a team that have been talked about and you know dare I say uh, selected as <laughs> the title challengers for the season. Um, you do you know you do you do feel that sense of pride, and I just hope that we don't get caught up and don't find ourselves talking about four or five games in, in a similar similar fashion. Simon? I don't even think we were at our best either. You know, our, the, the passing wasn't as tight as it has been and our counter wasn't as tight as it could have been. Um, you know, but thinking back towards uh, Stoke or the last game of the season, the last away game last season, you know, the, the speed at which we countered, there was quite a lot of misplaced passing, even, even though we played really well. So I think there's lots of areas we can still improve and, and, and that's really positive for the future. Yes, yeah, I certainly agree with that. We, um, yeah, we we you know far from our best. There's still an awful lot to come from this team, and in particular, you know the players that that didn't feature as well. It'd be very interesting to see how they uh, add to us throughout the course of the season. Um, first sort of major chance really in the second half for us, Tim was was Lucas' free kick. Uh, I'm guessing from the upper that must have been a been quite a quite a view of that. Yeah, I must admit it. It did at the time. I thought that's exactly the position where Jedinak scored against them. Um, a couple of years ago um, and yeah he's hit it perfectly uh, and it's a great save from Anderson to be fair who's parried it away for a corner um, but Luca could do no more from there to be honest yeah it's a shame he looks a, looks a very good keeper you know after a few years of Liverpool having dodgy goalies it's uh, frustrating to see they might have solved that problem albeit by spending an absolute ton of money um, 
here. And as, as mentioned earlier, his distribution was very good. But good good to see us uh, putting a bit of pressure. And again, what got forgotten um, because of a later <laughs> attempt that was far from glorious was Benteke once again having a really good opportunity and doing very, very well. So from the resulting corner, ball comes in and a, a fantastic header from Benteke that was again saved by Alisson. And, uh, unlucky not to score against his uh, against his former club once more. But moving on for that, again, we we have a game-changing moment. And I I don't have a problem with the red card. I'm going to say it now. It was it was a red card. Um, some of the some of the pictures are a little misleading because, and again, because of the theatrical fall, yeah, which we're now calling it, um, after the after the contact was made. Um, it does. It does look a, a terrible dive, but unfortunately for for Wambasaka, who had a great game up until this point, his recovery run to try and get uh, to try and get uh, some sort of a challenge in on Salah, he's just clipped. He's put his hand on his back slightly, and then you think it's his his right knee clips the left leg of Mo Salah, who feels that contact and obviously uh, just acts like he's been shot once more and goes down and. Guys, we can't really complain about the red card, can we? Um, you know, and, and I think it's it's a bit it's a shame, Tim, isn't it, for for Wan-Bissaka to to obviously have to leave the pitch because I think so many people were impressed with his performance. Yeah, I mean that that's I wouldn't say it's the weakness of his game because nine times out of ten he he kind of races back. He's got the speed and he gets that challenge in, and he gets the ball and it goes out for a corner or a throw on, and he and he stops that attack. And, and clearly, you know, he sped back again yesterday and, and he felt he could get the ball. Um, and so you don't want to... Well, I say you don't want to take that out of his game, but I don't know, maybe that's just that little bit of immaturity um, where, you know, um, maybe he doesn't make that kind of rash challenge. But then having said that, if Salah then goes on and scores and it's 2-0, it's game over at that point anyway. So, you know, you could argue, would a professional take one for the team? Um, you know, and and then you kind of, you know, move on from there. So it, it's difficult. It's heat at the moment as well, isn't it? I think, yeah. I think he's got ultimately. He's, if he can get back, he's got to, he's got to make some sort of an effort of a, of a challenge. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's just a shame that uh, that he can't quite get the angle to make a to make a his usual sliding intervention. And it's just a, a re, again, it's just bad luck that, that, that he clips him in the way that he does. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, he's got he's got to get back there. It's, you can't criticise him for the challenge. Um, but I mean, but what is good though is that suddenly everyone's talking about him in terms of everyone realises that he's such a great player. And even yesterday, you know, despite the fact he's made a mistake, he's got a red card. I'm still hearing the pundits saying what a great game he had. And, you know, that's really refreshing to hear that you know they're not slaughtering him. They're saying you know what a, you know what a great player he is. And uh, obviously we know that we've known that for the you know back end of last season. But now obviously everyone else is realising that too. Well, my nemesis Paul Mortimer told me we won't hang on to him. He's way too good. So, <laughs> so um, oh, um, oh well. yeah, that's <laughs> no. Obviously everyone's everyone's noticing now. Uh, Simon, to bring you in on this because my one criticism of the red card again, it, I don't think there's any way whatsoever that the referee can see that the contact, the contact that was made, right? I don't, I genuinely don't, but he was so, so quick and eager to give it. He went sprinting over. He was, I would say body language wise, he was excited. He was, you know, he was, he was eager to give that red card. Now 
am I being biased and unfair, or uh, or is there a point to be made? There? No, the, 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 I think you're probably right. He, he did seem quite excited to give that, and one of the only chants that you could hear in the TV louder than the Liverpool fans, and, and we discussed that earlier, was "Who's the scouser in the black?" Um, and and that came out, you know, it was really it did make me chuckle. It did make me chuckle when I heard that. Um, but I'm I'm fighting a cause. I'm not quite sure if it is a red. I, I know we're saying it's clear. We can't. The issues with it, but Salah loses moment. He loses control of the ball just before the tackle comes in, and and did he deny a goal scoring chance? Because where would he have gone after he lost control of the ball? So I've been fighting a losing cause on this one, but um, interesting. You you can just see it on the TV just before the tackle comes in. He has a really heavy touch, but it might just be me. I didn't see that. Uh, Nick first into well when. You, you get home after seeing it in real life and I didn't think it was a penalty in real life I thought oh well done you've got the ball there and at full speed and I was kind of the referee was sort of in between me and where the incident happened so he, he's got the same line of sight of the incident that I had and I genuinely thought that um, Bissaka had got the ball and I watched the highlights again earlier and in in normal speed it still looks like he's got the ball from that angle so yeah i agree with you that he's got the card out very very quickly um salah i don't know if he was embarrassed by it or not but he seemed he he seemed a bit kind of um what's the word i I don't know he he just didn't seem happy that the bloke had got sent off if that makes sense does that make sense he 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 was a bit as to why he'd gone because Tennessee's almost caught. Yeah, the well, ball, he should be thoroughly he? ashamed. Yeah, he should be thoroughly ashamed of himself for twice, really. Um, and there was some suggestion that he was uh, from, from various it, people. It's... I noticed your, your your hand went down, Tim. Has your point been made? <laughs> uh, no, no. I was just um, in response to what Simon said. Really, um, traveling home back to um, Folkestone, was listening to Talk Sport, and Dermot Gallagher came on, um, and he said that it. You know, his in his opinion, it was a red card. Um, and when he was questioned on whether um, Salah had lost control of the ball, he he said that it was because Salah was fouled that you know that's when the control of the ball was lost. Um, and, you know, the the ball was still going in the same direction it would have gone, but because Salah went down, there's no way you could sort of say that he'd lost control of the ball. Mm. Um, whether that's right or not, you know, um, at the time, like Nick, I I thought it was a great challenge, um, but. You know, I don't know. It's depressing, isn't it? <laughs> and um, obviously, what was further, yeah. further depressing? We, yeah, we did. We again, we were ten men. We were we were pushing really well uh, to still get back into the game. But there was, of course, always that danger we'd get caught out. So obviously, late corner, we do get caught out. The ball ends up with Mane. Hennessy nearly gets enough on it to save it, but not quite. And he so he tucks it away for two 0 which is obviously the cue for everybody to to leave the stadium. Very, very disappointing. Um, go on, Nick, jump in there quick. They'd broken quite a few times, Liverpool, yeah. especially from when we were attacking. Why was there nobody just hanging around Salah on the edge of the box? He was free and he went as soon as the corner went in. He was running up the pitch, ready oh. to receive the ball out from him. Um, that was one thing I thought. Uh, secondly, I thought uh, Wardy did okay when he came on for Wan-Bissaka. I was quite impressed. Yeah, he did. And again, he'll be he'll he'll be one that now he knows that he's lost the the jersey, so to speak. That he's going to have to work incredibly hard to to well, he's going to get it back briefly for one game. Um, 
And if he wants to keep it, he's going to have to play extremely well. And you're right, he did. He did play with some good energy when he came on. It was nice to see. But that's the kind of thing you want. You want competition for places that spurs people on to do their very, very best in the shirt. I'm sure. Yeah, you said shirt there, but you said jersey when referring. I did. To I did this I'm sure that's a, a, a goalkeeper item of clothing. Oh, Outfield it's... players don't wear jerseys. It's only the goalie. Come on. I've been watching MLS. That's what it is. Simon. I try not to shout and swear at the TV when I'm by myself watching the football because it seems a bit odd. But um, when Wardy won the free kick in the last few minutes down in the corner between the Homesdale and um, the main stand, Lalana mouths the ref, oh, you know, F off, he's playing for it. And I thought, hang on a minute. You know, if, if anyone's playing for anything here, it's uh, <laughs> Salah and others. But um, yeah, it was, it was quite funny when uh, Lalana was complaining that Wardy had played for the free kick. Yeah, that's uh, there's irony for you, but that's uh, that's what it's like, I guess, in the on a, on a football pitch. But now, obviously, you know, it hurts to concede that late goal as well. Just to, but I, I don't think I know what you're saying, Nick. But I don't think there's too when you certainly when you're down to ten men, you you know that sort of spare man to kind of sweep and what have you. You you need them further up the pitch. You're trying to get back into the game, um, and particularly with the kind of last kick of the match, you can just. Conceding that goal is is exactly the same as not. If you know what I mean, it just doesn't doesn't really matter. It's better to have put the pressure on that we did. Uh, but yeah, ultimately we we lose two 0 and we feel very hard done by. Um, we'll draw this to a close very shortly. But very uh, interested at Roy's post match uh, comments. Um, you know, we know he's got a bit of a temper when he wants. We we've seen it. There's a great video of him. Uh, absolutely destroying her. I think it was someone from the BBC who was making a stupid comment and he insisted that they started the interview again. And he was almost in that, that sort of bullish kind of mood once more when he was talking about uh, the penalty decision. So obviously we've given our views, but Tim, have, having Roy that worked up about it, I mean, I suppose it's that, that sense of injustice that, that he feels for, for the efforts that the team have put in. But were you surprised? A little bit surprised, but actually quite found it quite refreshing as well because Roy was kind of basically saying how I felt at the time, you know. Because normally, you know, they they all often just say the right things, don't they, to the press, and you know, say so don't get the headlines. But obviously, he was very frustrated uh, from the evening, and I think the comment I heard from him was like, "I'm very tired. Uh, leave me alone. You know, if I've had enough." Um, and that's exactly how I felt. Yeah, no, I can't, I can't, I can't blame the guy really. He was. Uh... Yeah, uncharacteristically angry, but um, yeah, a lot, a lot of frustration in there. But that shows, I suppose, you know, shows the ambition that Roy has for the season as well. That he's looking at, we talked about earlier, the progress we've made. He's looking at this game against Liverpool, and he's absolutely gutted that we haven't got anything out of it. Um, so hopefully, you know, hopefully that gets across to the players and you know the support as well. That you know, let's not. Let's not just accept it as oh we were playing a good team so we lost. You know there was injustice there. We should have got something. We played extremely well. We played better against Liverpool than a lot of teams will be able to muster this season. So let's let's move on from the defeat by all means, but let's not accept it and let's try and put it right when we get to travel to Anfield later in the season. Try and take three points there and get you know get some sort of restitution. Um, there's a few other bits and pieces that I did want to want to cover off, but I'm going to skip. Um, so, but I will say we'll go around you, gents. Who, 
no, we'll do, we'll do man of the match last. Just a couple of things. The Benteke and Sorloff, uh, there's a bit of a tension on both of those. Uh, Nick, you can help me out with this. So Christian played relatively well, but of course had an absolutely awful shot when he cut in and just spooned it just yeah. horrifically wide. Um, got he's getting grief for that. And then the, the grief has kind of spread to his overall performance, which I think is completely unfair. Your views? I think it's completely unfair. Um, I think um, you're being a bit fair on Kaita saying that um, he passed to him. I think Benteke read that really well. I think he's, he's, he's reading the game a lot better. He's coming back in. You can see him talking more to other players. But he and getting the ball out wide, if he, if he moves out there, he's keeping the ball quite well. I was so frustrated several times when there was nobody to support him when he was out there. It happened two or three yeah, times. So- um, so you can't really, slate him for other players not being there. No, it's a really good point. Um, there was actually one moment, I think, pretty sure it was early in the second half, where he was breaking with the ball and um, just through a lack of options, he had to hold on to it too long and ended up losing it. But there were a lot of players sort of running up, but no one who gave him a d- sort of direct pass. And the criticism went his way. And you're kind of like, come on, guys, you, you know, you, you come here every week, you watch your team, you must understand football. And that a pass needs a recipient to make the, you know, yeah. it's it's not always the guy with the ball's fault, it, you know, and, and it, it doesn't always need to be blame attached to a move that that, that, that breaks down. You just have to. It's, it's disappointing because you know a lot of the support got behind him, and we we know it's a player who needs confidence. He's very much a confidence kind of striker, and for people to kind of turn after you know one and a half games was very frustrating to hear, and I, and I hope. People aren't quite so uh, well. I hope people just kind of reset that disappointment that they felt against the Liverpool game and get back to to backing him. To cause he's had two great chances in, um, in in you know one against Fulham and one against Liverpool uh, with with typical Benteke headers that he's been very unlucky not to score with. You know, two excellent saves to stop stop goals. So you know, let's let's see the positive. He's possibly yeah. up against one of the best centre backs in the league as well. So you've got, got yeah. that into it. Absolutely right. And and Soloff, Tim, um, getting some grief because he didn't get on the end of a, a, a late Zaha cross. Uh, a lot of people saying, well, even our very own Mr. Albert Curley, calling him Sandor Torgal Mark II, and that's unfair on Sandor, he said. Um, so a lot of people being very negative <laughs> what, about him. What's your views? Um, He's just so raw at the moment. That's the thing. I don't think he's quite ready. Um, but then he's only going to get ready by playing, isn't he? So, I don't know. I, I think, basically, when Serlock comes on, it, it kind of shows probably how good Benteke was in terms of doing the the ugly stuff. Um, you know, because the one thing I'd criticised about Serlock yesterday, I didn't feel like he kind of came on and started chasing the ball. I felt he kind of was... A bit relaxed, and he, I'm not saying he didn't put any effort in, but it, it, it didn't appear that he was kind of that up for it. Whereas, you know, I'm not saying like Wilbraham in the past, where he comes on and he kind of chases in the corners and you know hustles and hustles and you know gets the crowd going. But I did expect a little bit more from Serloff yesterday, to be honest. Um, yeah. But having said that, you know, normally I'd expect if Serloff's got a chance from six yards, I'd expect him to score. Um, but obviously, he didn't yesterday. So you know, I can see why. I can see the frustrations. I would. What I, what I would. Only thing I would really add to that um, is people who say they've ne- they've not seen anything in any of his performances to suggest he's got talent. 
I would seriously question that. I would, I would, I would assume you didn't see the Chelsea game last season where he was excellent and should have been, should have had at least one goal. Uh, it was a goal legitimately scored and disallowed for no good reason. I think, for me, I, I, I do see a, a, a talented player there. Whether or not he'll ever get the amount of game time that he'll need, uh, I'm not so sure. Whether or not a loan spell might spark him, I don't. I'm not too sure either. He is a little bit slow reaction wise. He has still got to get up to the the frantic pace of the Premier League, and the only way he can do that is by playing games. So. We'll see if he ever comes good, but I, I think writing him off would be would be silly. Uh, and there's some interesting attributes that he does have, in my view. And I also think it's very worth considering the situation that he came off the bench into uh, against Liverpool, because obviously ten men against a very good side, when already a very good striker in Christian Benteke struggled to see the ball. It's you know it, it's very difficult to have an impact off the bench like that, um, but. That's the Premier League. He's going to have to do something to, to change people's minds. Okay, moving on from that, uh, Simon, I'll give you a chance to give us your views. Max Mayer, a very short little cameo from him. What I was impressed think? considering he's had barely any pre-season. Um, he looked sharp. Um, he had a good touch on him, played a couple of good passes and it looked good moving forward. So I think uh, good signs from him in his very short cameo. Definitely. Um, I, I, yeah, I just again, another... It's very early to start making too many um, sort of assumptions about him, but I, I liked the fact that he was very tidy. I like the fact that you know he, he understands the need to to keep the ball and play the right pass at the right moment. Um, didn't see too much of him, but looks looks almost too fitted. The only thing I don't, I'm not quite sure, is exactly where he fits into the team. But I was quite encouraged him. Short cameo is a bit harsh. I know he's he's tiny, but um, I must admit, when he came on, I thought it was one of the um, the guys from Half Time, the Half Time Challenge. One of the uh... <laughs> he's so tiny, isn't he? So you're a, I mean, you're a giant, so you know, five seven to you, I guess, is pretty tiny. Yeah, I mean, I'm amazed they found a shirt kind of small enough for him. I I didn't know much about him to be honest. I was just amazed how how small he was. But having said that, yeah, promising. I thought, um, you know, you know, he looked he looked good when uh, you know moving forwards, and let's hope we see a bit more of him. Yeah, very much looking forward to seeing uh, what he can do. So, quick round the table, man of the match. Uh, who was your man of the match, Nick? For a solid performance and being at no fault for the goals, I thought uh, Wayne Hennessy. It would have been uh, one Bissaka had he not got sent off. But, but, but Hennessy, I thought was tidy. Okay, Simon? I'm going to say, despite the sending off, I'm going to say Juan Bissaka. I thought moving forward, he looked really good. I thought defensively, he put some really solid challenges in. And I think he looked one of our brightest players. So for me, it was either him or PVA, but I'm going for Juan Bissaka. Okay, Tim? Um, like Nick, I'm going for Hennessy as well. The only thing that I think let him down a little bit was his distribution yesterday. And I think seeing Alisson's distribution, I know he's a top-class keeper. Um, but that that's what he's got to aim for because that was the difference between the two keepers last night. All right, I'm going with James Tompkins. Thought his reading of the game was excellent. I think he uh, gave a lot of assistance to Juan Pesaka throughout the game. And um, yeah, I thought he did really, really well. Um, real leader's sort of role uh, in, in what was obviously a, a defence that was under an awful lot of pressure. But also acknowledge that Hennessy and Juan Pesaka in particular had very, very good games. Okay, uh, not enough time for any other business or any contact or anything like that. So just remains for me to say thank you very much for listening. Thank you to my panel and to Sam for producing. 
Uh, you could subscribe to our show via your chosen podcast apps so you don't miss a thing. With three shows a week, we strongly recommend you do this. Uh, and if you need any help whatsoever accessing any of the shows in any way, do let us know. Uh, make sure you engage with the Back of the Nest social media accounts, as this is where you can get in touch with us to help shape the show over the course of the season. And uh, I'll be back with a new panel to review the Watford game next week. See ya. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.